Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Coming up, we got some football for you. Vic Suoto, Devin Kafusi. Devin, uh, of course, a BYU player who was transferred to Utah, and we had him on the show uh, in the 9 o'clock hour on Friday. And then Vic Suoto uh, used to play at BYU, now at USC recruiting. Uh-oh, he's a D-line coach at USC. So now we got, we got a poly guy who went to BYU, coming back to the Wasatch Front to recruit the best players, especially the best D-line. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay, I got to say, that I, I, I kind of see what USC's doing there. This could be a smart hire. I get why Utah and BYU wouldn't like this. But the fact is, there's no way around it. Recruiting is national. Recruiting's intense. Technology's changed it. Video, it's so hard to find the diamond in the rough that nobody's seen or nobody's heard of because everybody is getting their video out to everybody they possibly can. And now that they got analysts, they got more people than ever to sit around and watch all the videos that are coming in. So it's tougher than ever. It's just the way it is. And Vic Soto is going to make it even harder for Utah and BYU to keep guys at home. But uh, we did this around signing day. If you remember that we went to the top states in the West and we, and we looked at Washington and Oregon and Colorado and New Mexico and Arizona. Who keeps elite players at home? Here's your answer. Nobody. Actually, even though Utah and BYU keep a much lower percentage of the elite players at home than they used to 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, whatever your glory days are, it's way lower. The good news is, There are more elite local players, and they are still getting a higher percentage of their local players than Colorado, Arizona, Oregon, and Washington are keeping at home. Oregon is winning by recruiting nationally. There's only a handful of football players coming out of Oregon. It's it's not a state that cranks out a lot of recruits. Washington cranks out more. Um, But they still don't. Retain. They're also, uh, Washington's been doing a good job of recruiting nationally, including getting kids out of Utah. Elite receiver out of Utah goes to Washington. You know, they walk right into Orem High and away you go. They get Nakua. <laughs> Utah had his brother on the roster and couldn't get him. But you look at like Colorado and Arizona, barely anybody stays home. Colorado's like Oregon. It doesn't produce that many kids. So it's a, it's a battle, and it is what it is, and we'll talk with Vic Soto about that coming up. All right, we want to spend a couple minutes here. Um, we hit this later in the show. It came out, uh, at least we saw it, uh, in the second half of the show on Friday. Uh, the Athletic with a long story. Three reporters combining. Tony Jones is the guy you know locally. Um, uh, combining to do an in-depth look at uh, everything that happened. If you like the behind-the-scenes stuff and you want to feel like you're part of the jazz traveling party, they spent a long time on specifically what happened in Oklahoma City. Um, some of it uh, we knew, some of it detail stuff that we knew, but it takes it to a you know kind of another. I, I knew that the Jazz were preparing ahead, but they had really spe- specific examples of how early and why Quinn Snyder was uh, fired up about the coronavirus. And because he grew up in Seattle, because he's got friends up there, because his brother um, 
is a local businessman up there. He was really dialed in early on. And Joe, there's even a good quote from Joe, and we can talk to Joe about this on Thursday, where Joe says, uh, yeah, early on, we're like, oh, yeah, oh, great, okay. And they kind of blew it off. There were some later meetings with more detailed information that Joe said really got their attention. Uh, the Jazz were suggesting the players not sign autographs on that four-game road trip. They could really feel like it was coming. They had a meeting the day before Rudy tested positive. I didn't know this. They had a meeting the day before tested positive lasted 45 minutes. What do we do if a player tests positive? And they came out of the meeting with more questions than they went in with because every time they got an answer, it led to five more questions and, uh, you know, still couldn't prepare you for what happened. And they go through everything that happened in the locker room and all that. So there's all that kind of detail. And if you like that, it's good for that. They have a couple... uh, They have a segment later on where they talk about um, the relationship with Rudy and Donovan. Now, they're the two biggest stars, and we know that chemistry matters to a degree, but they go into it and they have two quotes, and one is named and one is unnamed. And Joe Ingles is on the record. He's talked on our show. He's said on a podcast, and, you know... Joe stands by it, and he was tweeting about it during our show. He started with an LOL, because there's an unnamed source that says the relationship is not salvable. Joe very much believes it is salvageable. PK and I think that's not the point. The point, you know, if they can't get along, then these two can't be together for a long time. Regardless of whether they get along a little or a lot, completely or not at all, I think those questions, the drama, the personal relationship, is dwarfed by the question, how much better can you be in the NBA if your five-man doesn't shoot the three? Can you put a guy out who provides some size and some rim protection defensively, who can spread the floor offensively? And if you don't, what do you do with him? That's a question that I think has to be answered in the next 15 months to decide whether they want to give Rudy the Supermax or not. We don't know exactly what that number is going to be. Obviously, NBA revenue is going down. The players get a percentage of the revenue. And all there's formulas for you know the Supermax. And depending on what you've accomplished and how many years you've been with the team and how many years you've been in the league, they got all these formulas, right? So originally, we thought that number would be in the $45 million range per season for Rudy. It'd certainly be over 40. Steph Curry's already signed a deal over 40. Now, that may be changing dramatically because NBA revenue could be changing dramatically. We'll see if they play these playoffs or not. But the fact is... It'll be a percentage of the cap. It'll tie your hands. Now, nobody's debating, at least I'm not, Rudy's a great player. Donovan Mitchell is an awesome player. But if you're going to hold on, I think Donovan's the face of the franchise. I think he's got the PR skills, the people skills. He's got the desire to get better. He's got just the raw natural ability on top of that. He's got it. He's the face of the franchise. The question is, do you want to try to basically counter-program and counter-attack the Warriors and the Lakers and Clippers with Rudy? Or do you have to get a five-man who can shoot the three? Rudy learns it, like Lopez did. And Rudy just gets a gym right now, rents a private gym, owns a gym, buys a gym if necessary, and gets out there and shoots threes until he can do it. Lopez turned it around. I wouldn't bet on Rudy being able to do it, but I wouldn't have bet on Lopez being able to do it either. They have to figure this piece out. And not only do they have to figure it out for the summer of 2021, which is now, what are we, like 15 months away from free agency if it's on track, if the calendar doesn't change. If they have a later season, maybe it'll be 17 to 18 months. 
But if they want to trade him at the trade deadline, assuming the league restarted by then and that that all happens, uh, they've got to decide even sooner. So does chemistry matter? Yes, but I think it's dwarfed by do the pieces fit? Because there'll always be a market for Rudy. He's wildly talented, and he's a game changer. And he can elevate team, if you rank the teams, team 30 or 25 or 20, he can elevate them 10 spots. And if he can get a team, if you're a GM and you're about to lose your job because you can't get to the playoffs and you can get Rudy and get to the playoffs, done. Might it put a ceiling on you? Yeah. Is there a ceiling on the Jazz with Rudy? Can they be better than the 6th or 8th or 10th best team in the league? Because that's the range they've been in. They haven't been in the top five, I don't think, these last three years. But they've been in the next five. Can they be better than that? The Jazz have to answer that question. How well they get along? Eh. I mean, I don't want to say it's not important, but it's not the most important thing. This other issue trumps everything in my mind. Now, if Rudy does want to put the personality stuff aside, I think the biggest problem is uh, the fact that he went out at the start of the season I sit and says, I need more shots. I hold the dunk record. we got to get me the ball. And he said it to shoot-arounds. He said it to all the media. It was there. And it's on the record. And we all have it. That is a bigger issue. That is always an issue on a basketball team. When a player says, I need more shots. You can be on your rec league team, your church league team, your pickup team, high school, college, pro. That is always an issue. And you got to work it out. If Rudy wants to... Um, you know, he's got. He's already apologized for the touching of the microphones and the fact that he was just too flippant and trying to be funny and just blew it, right? He's already apologized for that. But if he really wants to set the tone, he walks in in a team meeting or in a practice session and says, Coach, you don't have to run post-ups for me at the start of the game. I think they're trying to kind of appease him by giving him post-ups a couple times a game. They are very detailed, trying to get the highest percentage shot. It's like they give away two possessions. Those are lower percentage possessions. Sometimes Rudy scores. A lot of times he doesn't. Sometimes he turns it over. I think if they weren't trying to appease him, they wouldn't be running those plays. If he goes in and says... Don't run those plays, coach, unless you want to run them. You don't have to run them to keep me happy. I'm going to score because I'm going to grab offensive rebounds. I am going to make my free throws. I'm going to get put back dunks. I'm good. If he says that in front of the whole team and then backs up his words with actions, I think a lot of the personality stuff gets smoothed over. Because I think to whatever degree it's an issue, I think that's the issue. But even if he smooths it over, I don't think that guarantees that he and Donovan are under contract playing here like Stockton and Malone forever and ever. The Jazz have to decide what is the best chance to win. And is it by going with the flow in the NBA and adding a shooting five like everybody else? Or is the best move to go against the grain? And that's the way to win. they got to make that decision. Do they have to make it by a trade deadline? Certainly by free agency. That's the critical point. All right, we can talk more about that because that's basketball X's and O's, and I'd love for it. I get a little too fired up about it, possibly, but I really do enjoy it. All right, we're going to talk football next. Devin Kafusi's coming up. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. 
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We're joined now by Devin Kafusi, former BYU defensive lineman who's transferring to Utah. Devin, good morning. Hey there, good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Uh, you know, obviously we've heard the story. We know kind of the headlines, but I think uh, having you on gives us a chance to, to flush out some of, the, uh, some of the details. There's probably three or four things to chase down. Let's start with... Um, you made comments about the scheme at BYU and how you think maybe it doesn't uh, doesn't really fit you, and and so you're transferring. And you know we had a lot of people listening who played high school football, coach high school football, used to coach high school football. Can you uh, break it down a little bit and give us a little insight into the scheme, how it impacted you, and what you think might be better at the U? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I you know made a lot of great friends and had a lot a lot of great um, great time playing at BYU. Um, definitely not really a good from bad decision, really, you know, a, a good to better decision, um, with what I'm doing heading up to Utah. Uh, the kids, the scheme things, um, it, it was accumulation of things, um, scheme, you know, being a factor, uh, is one of those things. Um, but, um, from what I viewed just with in comparison to Utah, I, I feel like I'd be a better fit up in. Um, their defense that they have had a great culture and identity with for the past couple of years um, when it comes to developing, um, you know, defensive ends. And um, um, we've seen that with players that have gone through Utah's program um, that have gone to the next level. And so it's something that's always piqued my interest and has been really enticing to me. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely right about that, Devin, because they have been known, I think, for many years, decades even, of no matter how good the team is, they still have really good linemen on the inside and out on the edges. So you going there, you're walking into a situation where you're going to have to up your game to get some playing time because it's been so competitive, and you're right, sending so many guys to the NFL – you already said that was enticing, but how about the thought of having to really compete just to get out on the field? Yeah, no, exactly. Just, um, you know, the program up there, just how it's set up and um, the opportunities they give players, you know, um, um, whether it be, you know, uh, nutrition or, um, you know, help, um, really just giving them the best opportunity to compete, um, you know, at a very high level. And so um, it's something that I'm all about, um, competing and, um, you know, just really enjoying the opportunity to go up there um, no matter where I'm starting at. I'm coming in as a new guy, as a transfer even, um, but just competing in that defense um, in which I have confidence in and in, in knowing and playing. And so I'm so excited to see how it ends up. So not to jump too far ahead, but people who know more, way more about this than me and, you know, transferring in college football and college basketball, things have really changed, not just over the last 10 years, but even over the last three or five, that it's really important for players in your situation, especially if you transfer after a couple of years to be able to graduate in three and a half years. Are you on yeah. track for that? Because from the there, there's some guys who need that because if they're going pro, um, say the way some of the Utes did, uh, Jalen Johnson, right? He's got his degree. Mm-hmm. Now he can go work out for the draft. If it isn't working out for you, you still have a chance to transfer as a grad transfer and be spring football at the next school you go to, wh- whatever that might be. Are you on track mm-hmm. for either one of those things in a three-and-a-half-year graduation? 
Um, yeah, no, really, I just love to stay locked in um, up at Utah, you know, so stay close to home, keep it in-state. Um, no, I, I've loved growing up here um, and everything. Um, school-wise, yeah, um, I'm, I'm ahead with some credits right now. Um, but also, you know, uh, taking two years off to, to serve a mission, um, you know, it makes me an older an older guy when it comes to my eligibility years. Um, but, you know, we, we've seen that before um, year after year with um, with members of the church here in the state of Utah. But the, the sooner the better. That's definitely the goal. So if I get school done, um, do what I need to on the football field, get the results that I want, and then um, go next level, that's, you know, the ideal dream of having things go. Your last name, obviously, Devin, is basically royalty at BYU. And, you know, there's some over there at Utah, too. But, you know, the Kafusi name, is, is it's a household name there with uh, the BYU football program and has been for many years. And so the point that I'm going at is because with you, Kafusi, uh, in this case you, obviously, leaving, it, and combined with a couple of seven and sixes and four nines, there's a little unrest with the football program. So, in a sense, it looks bad on the coaches, particularly the D coordinator and the head coach, that a Kafusi is leaving and then is leaving to go to Utah. And so Kalani and Tuiaki may get a bad rap. What is your response to that for people who would criticize those two for letting our Kafusi get away? Um, you know, really, um, you know, Kalani has, has done so much and Tuyaki has done so much for, for, for me and my family and my development. Um, you know, the main thing is, though, you know, I, I, players only get four years to play. Um, in, in my case, you know, I, I mean, everyone's case of eligibility-wise. Um, you know, me as a player, I'm figuring out a lot of things to, uh, to do and to figure out, and so are they. Um, the program and moving things into place uh, year after year, whether it be getting the players they want or, you know, the coaches they want there. And so, um, you know, um, I'm sure enough they'll get it down to, you know, Kalani being um, the competitor he is. He'll get it down to what he wants and stuff. Um, unfortunately, it's just, you know, I'm on a clock, and so I really just wanted to make the most out of my my last couple of years of eligibility. And so, um, yeah, best select to them. But um, it, it is it is something very different, of course. You know, um, having so many years here at BYU uh, w- within the family, and um, you know, a lot of things change, and uh, hopefully, change for the better. Devin Kafusi joining us, former BYU defensive lineman, transferring to Utah. I heard Kalani spent a lot of time with you in this process, and I'm sure there's some stuff that you know you don't want to throw out on the radio, and, and we both get that. But can you talk a little bit about how much time he did invest you and invest in you, and some of the things he helped you work through in this process? Um, yeah, I mean, if you talk to anyone that has, has been under uh, Kalani's, you know, he's just um, he really cares for the players. Um. So him and I had a really nice long talk when I when I met with him and um, broke the news that I have the intention of transferring. Um, it was really helpful, talking through a lot of things, gave me a lot of things to think about, and so I was able to leave his office, you know, um, feeling a lot better. Um, I, I went in, uh, you know, knowing that it was going to be some pretty shocking news to him. Um, but after after talking with him, um, you know, it, it was really good. Uh, just calling on the best for me. Um, 
I know he, I know he's you know giving it all um, to the players over there, um, you know, hoping that he gets more help, whether it's from um, administration above, uh, to really just let him do what he wants with the program over there, and to really help um, help those players as well. You know, BYU having its uh, unique um, circumstances than other universities uh, is a challenge for sure. Um, but you know, I'm I'm confident he'll he'll figure it out. Um, and just spending a lot of time talking with him and talking with you know my own family members um, in relation with uh, with him and everything else. So uh, I, I got to be blunt on this. Uh, when this decision was, when you announced it, uh, guys at BYU got in touch with me and said uh, that you're not signing a scholarship agreement that you're walking on. Could you clarify that? I oh, know it's a it's a scholarship offer from Coach Powell and Coach Scally. Um, um, I mean, going into you know the transfer portal, it's kind of walking out in the dark a little bit, especially. And I know in my situation, just um, you know, I don't, I really don't have much film to to back it up uh, for anything to offer. Um, you know, coming off an, uh, a surgery I had in January, um, as well as you know not being a grad transfer. And at the timing of spring ball, I mean, I mean, when you talk college football, you know, it, they got everything planned out really for that for the rest of the year, whether it be the scholarships and everything. Um, but Coach Powell let me know right away is, um, that they'd love to have me, that I got all the right tools, a lot of untapped potential, um, which was just a, a huge blessing, um, and I'm super grateful for. Um, you know, it helps me with my confidence as well, knowing um, I know I am a a uh, worthy student athlete of a scholarship, but I also get the logistics of timing and everything um, would have been tough to kind of move some pieces around, but I'm super grateful that it worked out um, in the way that it has to receive a full red scholarship up there. So do you get that immediately or is that something that kicks in mid-year? Uh, immediately. I'm also intrigued uh, because, as PK points out, the Kafusi name is just kind of, you know, football royalty. Uh, by the time I moved here 25 years ago, the, the Kafusi train was already rolling. So you've got immediate family and extended family. You've got Utes and Cougars. Uh, how, how wide did you go through that network to get input, and what kind of input did you get? And, and was it all the same or was it different? Um, it, was, it was all the same. Um, you know, great experiences at both universities, um, whether it's my uncles or my dad or, or cousins. Um, I really leaned heavily on, on, on my brothers, you know, them being at BYU, um, over different courses at BYU, um, and, and, and what they've seen. And, you know, the standard that um, they held out themselves to and expectations as well as um, my own dad. And that's something that I, I found really cool and interesting when going through this process, um, you know, my dad not being in coaching anymore. But seeing all the coaches and the, um, the players uh, that his influence has had over the years, whether it's in the state of football or just in the uh, or defensive side of college football in general. Um, so my dad, you know, having experience at both places, um, I was able to talk with him and also, um, you know, him having strong relations with um, coaches out here in the West um, as well as up at Utah specifically. And so, um, those are who I really uh, reached to and relied on. Um, really kept it low key and under the radar when it came to um, you know this transfer and let alone recruiting as well. 
Did you consider any other schools? Um, Utah was definitely the school in mind. I mean, when I had the idea first, uh, that kind of popped in my head of transferring. It was always just like, when I, when I pictured me transferring, it was just picturing me going to Utah. Um, but, of course, um, you know, I really laid out my options and opportunities and just really kind of went through them thoroughly to make sure um, I was making the best decision for me. Um, when it came on to it, um, Utah, of course, was the best decision, uh, decision for me. How seriously had you looked at Utah and how seriously had they looked <laughs> at you uh, coming out of high school before you were enrolled? Yeah, no, it was actually Kalani up there, up at Utah. Um, now, um, they're actually one of the first people to recruit me. Um, I remember my uh, my junior year, um, I, I went to the seven on seven up there and uh, d- did really well. Um, and Kalani approached me, was walking me around during the seven on seven day, and he was just talking to me about how he knew me, uh, my family very well. And everything, and at that, you know, knowing that we're very family at that point, having both brothers commit and everything, and, and be playing. Um, but he, was, he he told me he's like, hey, if you ever, you know, just know, um, I, I know you're a BYU family, but if you ever want a place to play, you know, we'd love to have you up at Utah. And so, um, was in contact with them um, as as well in that sense. But out of high school, you know, I, I committed to BYU on the spot. Um, but I also had my best friend, Brent Covey, um, and some other friends up there at Utah at the time. Um, was, I've, I've always um, you know, kept an eye on, on, on Utah football. So going forward here, there's an opportunity to appeal to maybe play next year and then also have the – uh, one-time transfer rule that they're discussing. So you could possibly play next year. I guess that remains to be seen. Is that something that your health would allow as, and you'd want to do it? and Or would you prefer to redshirt to get bigger, stronger, all that type of stuff? Oh, I'll be ready. Um, you know, if it allows me to, I'll be ready to go uh, to, to play and uh, to contribute. Um, but, of course, going in, um, we'll, we'll see how the, you know, um, the talks with NCAA how the new rule will unfold. Um, but when it came to transferring, I took that into consideration, uh, understanding that I may have to sit out a year, um, which is, you know, I saw as also um, uh, very beneficial to me, um, you know, just getting up into a program, um, you know, really just um, learning the system, um, using the facilities and um, all the help that they offer and just knocking a bunch of school out. And so, um, either either one happens, um, you know. I I've thought through and um, and we'll be prepared for. Um, but you know, playing right away would be awesome. You know, it's uh, already missing tears of football. Uh, <laughs> serving a mission is uh, really makes you miss the game. And you know, I'm, I'm still just hungry to show um, my best football that I haven't been able to show yet. Was this one more thing before you? Go ahead, DJ. I was just wondering, uh, was this 100% a football uh, decision? Sometimes when players transfer, there's stuff going on off the field that factors into it as well. And, and not everybody always wants to get into that, obviously. But was that mm-hmm. a factor? Um, everything uh, around it was football. Um, I, just, I just knew um, you know, that 
there are better universities that you know that accommodate football players and and have um, uh, you know that give better, better opportunities um, within programs, whether it's academic help or um, you know um, help after f- football and everything. Um, but of course, football is the main driven thing. Um, it's, it's it's what I want to be. Um, it's, it's, it's what I, it's what I um, want to reach. Uh, a goal of becoming the best football I can be, uh, which would be to take it next level as well. But of course, um, you know, you got to go through um, the first steps, and that's you know, getting into a great program, proving yourself, having a result show on the field, and being consistent um, year after year with that. And so, um, yeah, football driven um, in my decision. Well, Devin, we appreciate a few minutes. Good luck with the transfer. You're a Kafusi, so everybody's always watching, but you've been around it your whole life, so you know now everybody's really watching. Good luck to yeah. you. Awesome. Well, thank you. There's Devin Kafusi, and as the interview ended, PK was getting texts that he is not on scholarship right away, but he's got a chance to be on scholarship when the season starts, which a lot of people would define that as a walk-on, but he doesn't, so there you go. And, and PK was getting those texts from people inside the Utah BYU programs. And I know at least some of the numbers he has in his phone and who he communicates with because later on they've doubled back and told me some of the same stuff later. So I totally trust him on this. So that's where it sits. Make up your own mind. Vic Suoto, former BYU player, now coaching at USC and trying to recruit the Wasatch Front. He's coming up next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Time now to talk a little college football with Vic Suoto, former BYU player, now the defensive line coach at USC. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint, making it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Vic, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Yeah, no worries, man. Excited. What's going on? Uh, well, not a lot of games to talk about, but plenty of other stuff to talk about in sports. And uh, curious, what is it like right now being the defensive line coach at USC? How's your job changed? How, how are the Trojans adapting to the, uh, the last month? Right, it's kind of, you know, I think everybody's all on, um, all on the same page across the country. It's something new being quarantined and, and with this coronavirus deal, but um, yeah, we're just installing a new defense, uh, getting the guys, you know, ready to go, um, and understanding our culture on defense with uh, Coach Orlando, Coach Niber, and Coach Williams. So it's uh, a lot of new stuff uh, for the guys, but overall, just taking it one day at a time. Take us through your journey, Vic. You know, obviously you played at BYU, and then you went on to coaching and where you were coaching and how you ended up with uh, a USC because we know they had a, a coordinator change in the off season. Yeah, so I'm originally from out here, uh, right outside of San Diego, and uh, played for Coach Mendenhall at BYU and played in the league for 
four years and bounced around to a bunch of different teams. Um, and then I actually wanted to be a radiologist after playing in the NFL. And so uh, we found this loophole where if uh, my wife worked at BYU, I was able to get free tuition. So uh, in 2015, my wife was Coach Mendenhall's executive assistant, and I was taking uh, pre-med classes, or all my science classes that I didn't take on uh, my undergrad up in Salt Lake. And just one, of, one day I was just walking by the office and Coach Mendenhall was like, hey, you know, if you want to be a student assistant or help out with the guys, you know, you're, you're welcome to do that. Um, and so I, I started volunteering and doing some recruiting work uh, with Justin Anderson um, in the recruiting department. And then next thing I knew, I just found myself more in the football facility than, you know, in the library. So uh, my time kind of, you know, just told me that that's kind of what I wanted to do and, and what I should be doing. And then uh, fast forward to Coach Mineral accepting the job in Virginia uh, offered me the graduate assistant job, and then everything else is pretty much history. Our, our D-line coach at the time, uh, after nine months at Virginia, ended up going to um, Oklahoma, uh, Ruffin McNeil. So I got elevated there, and then um, the opportunity came for USC, and um, it's something I just couldn't pass up. So you know how in Provo everything that happens in the BYU football program can become a very big deal. There's a lot of intense interest in a tightly knit community. Now, I don't oh, think, totally. yeah, I don't think Los Angeles is that tightly knit, and yet at the same time the USC community is. So how would you compare every little thing that happens in the USC program and how it makes waves in the area versus BYU? Did did BYU kind of prove? prepare you for some of the intensity of USC or is it even more intense than SC? Yeah. Uh, you know, we haven't played any games yet, so I'm sure it'll be ramped up, you know, wins to losses during the season. But, um, yeah, I don't think there's anything like um, playing at BYU and and struggling with BYU. So my senior year was when we had the old heaps and uh, uh, Riley Nelson debacle and um, we ended up uh, our D coordinator got fired at that time, and so yeah, I don't think there's anything like being at at, at BYU just because um, there's so much vested interest uh, in in um, trying to to get the program back to you know the season where we won the national title. So uh, I haven't seen the intense part of L.A. yet. Um, I know I haven't seen anything yet that's as intense as, as BYU's media and, and uh, expectations, that's for sure. So considering you played just about every position at BYU except Holder, how did you end up being a defensive line coach? Yeah, uh, really it started with pass rush. Um, I played in the NFL as an outside linebacker. And then when I was helping out um, with BYU and then as a graduate assistant, I kind of ended up being the pastor specialist because that's really what I have a passion for. Like I love hitting the quarterback and, and beating offensive linemen and, and getting tackles for losses. And 
and that kind of been became my niche. And then uh, Coach uh, Ruffin McNeil was was new to our staff and was the D line coach. Um, and it was my job to you know uh, bridge that that learning curve right there. So I would teach him and and he would teach me different things. But my job, you know, as a graduate assistant was to help out the design and then uh when he left I just became a full full time D line coach and I played D line and coach him in all system. Um knew it in and out. And as a smaller guy I was probably around two forty five to fifty playing in a uh, four five, which is you know head up on a big old offensive tackle. Um, I couldn't beat guys with just pure talent. So a lot of what I used in college and what I learned in the NFL became you know what I taught because everything came back to techniques and fundamentals. So we were able to do a lot of really good things out in Virginia with you know some guys that um, were overlooked or underrated. Vic Soloto joining us, former BYU football player, now the defensive line coach at USC. You referenced your, your NFL time. Uh, Green Bay, Oakland, Washington, Arizona, New Orleans, Pittsburgh. Some of those stops were pretty quick, and yet you're still in team meetings. You're still in practices. Is there anything you picked up from any of the coaches along the way, head coaches, position coaches, coordinators, whoever, in the NFL that you, even if you didn't see it for a long time, you thought – that makes sense to me. I'm going to hold on to that, and you use it now uh, in your own career. Yeah, absolutely. I think every stop, um, regardless of how long it was, you know, um, my mind was always just to take something and learn something. Because uh, as a you know, as a coach now, you don't have those opportunities to be uh, professionally developing during season because you're obviously in your own season. Uh, but I felt like those four years. Uh, kind of threw me in the fire of understanding different defenses, understanding what different guys wanted, understanding, you know, the the competitive nature of the NFL within your own position group. Uh, but I think that the biggest thing or, you know, the thing that stands out from my time in the league would probably be, or one coach would be my position coach at Green Bay, um, Kevin Green, who's a Hall of Famer now, uh, just a, a, an amazing guy, but he always had a standard of violence and, and physicality and everything that we did. And whether we liked it or not, we were going to strike. Whether we liked it or not, we were going to run and hit. And uh, that that left a huge impression on me. Um, you know, with coming from Coach Mendenhall's program, where everything is effort based and and you're running around and and uh, and you're hitting, but. Uh, when I got it, when I got to Green Bay and started learning from Kevin Green, it was it, it brought it to life even more. And so, I'd say that's the biggest thing. Uh, obviously, there are guys of all varying degrees of competencies in the NFL, and um, some guys are there because they're they're buddies with the head coach. Uh, but Kevin Green, for sure, is uh, one that stands out when I, when I look back on my short career in the league um, of guys that I from so SC's not expecting you to come in here and recruit Utah kids to get them down to Los Angeles are they 
Oh, absolutely, man. I'm going across <laughs> the country and, and every island possible to find you know, the best players to help us win a title. I think uh, USC, you know, growing up in Southern California and watching USC and, and watching, you know, Matt Leinerts and the Carson Palmers, the Reggie Bushes, you know, Troy Pomales Jr. Sales, and, you know, that's the caliber that, that this place deserves and this place yearning for to get back to that and so my job yeah i'm gonna be out in, in uh, utah all over the place and um just scouring the country for the best players that fit uh usc football so i i don't know if you can even give us a round number how many and i realize everything's come to a halt here in the last month but how many thousand miles do coaches fly especially if you're responsible for islands as you just mentioned Oh, jeez. Yeah. Um, let's put it this way. I was uh, a rewards program on Marriott. And I, before, when I was a GA, I, was, I, I didn't have anything. Um, but then after two years, it's like platinum elite. So <laughs> you can imagine how many times we're staying in hotels. And, um, and then, you know, the Delta Sky Miles have been through the roof. So... Yeah, a lot of a lot of um, connections, a lot of a lot of long hours on planes, especially for me and, and offensive line coaches, man. Like those those planes, I swear, getting smaller and smaller. So uh, a lot of uncomfortable flights. But I would say, yeah, I don't, I, I wouldn't know where to start with the number, but I just know we're we're probably in the plane more than we're actually out and at the place you know, when we're at when we're out recruiting because we're just flying all over the place I know they're closed now but you have you had an opportunity to hit up your favorite Los Angeles beach oh no uh, man no we're uh, we're actually um, we're living in Manhattan Beach uh, two blocks from the beach and uh, can't go out there so my kids are dying to, to run around um, on the sand, and honestly, my wife and I were dying to throw them out there and just let them run. <laughs> but uh, we haven't been able to go to see our beaches yet. So, Oceanside or Manhattan Beach, DJ, Solana Beach or uh, Redondo Beach? Come on, the San Diego beaches are better. You know that. <laughs> um, no, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, you know, Oceanside. Carlsbad and Sanitas type of guy. I thought so. Yeah. <laughs> Norm Chow, have you over for dinner yet? No, not yet, but uh, I think we're in his ward, um, supposedly. So there's some rumblings that we're in, in uh, Coach Chow's ward. And if we are, then I will definitely be eating at Norm Chow's house shortly. Vic Soto joining us, USC defensive line coach, uh, former BYU player. Uh, so you were at Virginia in 2016 as a GA, and then you had three years with the defensive line. How did Bronco build that program up? Because that first year was brutal. And this last year was really good. And you could kind of see it trending that way. So uh, if you had to put your finger on a couple things – how did the turnaround happen? Because if anybody goes back and looks at the numbers and the record over four years, really outhouse to the penthouse kind of stuff. 
Right. Uh, I think it first starts, and I don't, I mean, this is all my opinion, but it first starts with the people. And, uh, you know, taking over a new job um, as a head coach or, you know, trying to turn around um, a business, right? It starts with who you bring in. And I think as a as a unit, as a staff, we're all together and uh, understanding that it's not a it's not going to be a, a day one turnaround. And we knew that before we started winning, we were going to lose. You know, we were probably going to lose a lot because the culture had to change. And so through those that first year, um, losing all those games and and obviously seeing all the negative attention, you know, it's kind of just made us get closer and tighter and work even harder. And so there's no, you know, for us, there was no Orange Bowl. There wouldn't be able for the ability to, to go to the Orange Bowl this last year if there wasn't a 2 and 10 season. Uh, so believing, you know, one, having a staff that believes in what you're doing, I think is huge. Um, and two, having, uh, you know, having the years, the, the 10 or 11 years, whatever it was that Bronco was at BYU, um, having that to back it up. So when players were, were one and six and, and we go down to Virginia Tech and and we're two and nine, we go down to Virginia Tech and get killed 54 to 10, you know, that those guys are riding the bus back home like it's it's going to happen and believing and understanding that, it's, that it wasn't a, an overnight thing. Um, and then... The next thing I would say is offensive play was as far as the quarterback. It's uh, become more and more apparent that this game is a quarterback-driven game. Um, you know, in the NFL, they say it's a quarterback-driven league, but now it's a quarterback-driven game. Uh, so we had some really good quarterbacks. We had a transfer in uh, Kurt Benkert that was there for two years. And then we had another transfer in, uh, in Bryce Perkins, you know, that, that, that took our – offense to a different level uh and then you know defensively we just started understanding our personnel who we could get um talent acquisition is huge in anything on um, any business or uh you know team so we found out the guys that we could actually get regardless of stars uh that could play our brand of football and so uh fast forward to four years later you know we we had a lot of guys that no one knew about, um, guys that uh, teams had given up on. You know, Bryce Perkins, our quarterback, last year, last two years, was given the uh, was given the red light by ASU and, and was told that he couldn't play football anymore. And next thing you know, he's hurdling over defenders and scoring touchdowns for us. So, you know, we ended up finding exactly what was needed for that situation and that team and and that school um, and it's taken off and so uh, I don't think anyone uh, around the, the staff table in Charlottesville was surprised by uh, the four-year turnaround uh, it's just what we expected and when we knew what was going to happen if we stayed together and, and uh, you know blocked out the noise and just kept working well, Vic, we appreciate a few minutes. Uh, congratulations on the career move back to Southern California, and when everything gets back to uh, normal and playing football again, we'll be uh, we'll be following you, obviously, in the Pac-12 South. Awesome, man. Anytime. This is Vic Suoto. Well, 
If you know him, you might be seeing him around town at his favorite sandwich shop, you know, on the way from one high school to another or one home visit to another or whatever. He'll be up here recruiting for USC. It's just a new fact of life. The whole Pac-12 is here. But extra advantage for him. When you get an LDS guy who knows the culture, who has ties, who has stuff in common, who has relationships, that's just a bonus. And Stanford's done it, and it's helped them cash in. And USC's brand name alone will pull kids out of here. I mean, we can all probably list three or four or five kids who've gone to USC from Utah. And there's going to be more, and Vic is hoping to make it a lot more, clearly. All right, when we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are on the way. Stay with us.